Hello everyone, my name is Toby Ford Weston. I'm one of the leaders here at Emmanuel. It's so good to be with you in this unusual season that we are all living through. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Easter is the greatest day of the Christian calendar. We love Christmas, don't get me wrong, but Christmas is only really good news when we take into consideration the accomplishments of Jesus on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. So significant are those accomplishments that they've actually made their way into our national calendar. Every year around this time, we're given a couple of days to examine, to engage, to enjoy, maybe even encounter Jesus. And not only are we given days into days off, essentially, we, we, we also inherit uh, some Easter traditions, traditions that I love, by the way. Easter Sunday. How shall we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? The foil it represents the, the glory of the... No, it's the chocolate. That's, the chocolate is the sweetness of the... Uh, I don't get it. Still, I love chocolate as much as the next person. All I'll say, though, moment on the lips, lifetime on the hips. And believe it or not, that takes us nicely to what we're going to be speaking about today. We're going to be speaking and looking at a psalm. Looking at a psalm. And the word psalm simply means song. And the book of Psalms is a book of songs, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible, 150 songs. And these were written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. I suppose you could say, why on Resurrection Sunday? Well, on Easter Sunday, would we be looking at a song written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born? Well, what I would say to that is, People that are truly great have songs sung about them. Those that are greater still have songs sung about them long after they died. The one who is greatest had songs sung about him hundreds of years before he was even born. The, the ripples of the resurrection of Jesus go forth in every direction forward into our era but just as much forward they go backwards even into the era of the writing of the psalms and it's those same resurrection ripples that reverberate through all the psalms and the psalm that we are looking at in particular today is psalm 16. so it's worth our time this easter sunday Uh, we'll have it read to us And then we'll pray and we'll get to work. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. Or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. 
The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night, my, also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This psalm really is about two things. In short, preservation and pleasure. Preservation and pleasure. David, the writer of the psalm, he starts off with the theme of preservation. In fact, it's the, it's the opening line of the psalm. He cries out, preserve me, O God. What does that mean? Well, it kind of means keep me. Keep me forever. Preserve me, O God. And that really is a cry of the human heart. It's, it's something that's in humanity. We, we by nature, we, are, we really are preservers. And this can be seen in, in many ways. Uh, one of the most obvious, I suppose, is the instinct that many have to want to preserve the planet. Reusing plastic bags, for example, or carrier bags, bags of various sorts and kinds to try and preserve nature. But this instinct to preserve can also have unusual consequences. Uh, what I mean by that is, as humans, we, we preserve some of the strangest things. <laughs> I reckon even where you are at home, maybe even within arm's length of where you are right now, you have things that you probably should have thrown away five years ago. I'm going to help you, okay? I'm going to help you. It's going to be a spring clean, okay? I, I'm going to list some things I reckon that you have preserved. Some things. I reckon you've got at least two of these things preserved, okay? Two of these things. Here's the list. CDs that you've not listened to for at least five years. A cookbook from the 90s. An old takeaway box in your freezer with what can only be described as brown liquid in it. One for the men. That Lynx Africa gift set that you got at Christmas. Unopened. A box of hangers. Davina McCall exercise DVD. Some of those little sachets of ketchup that we all keep for some reason. At least one VHS, if you're under 21, Google that. And the all-important manual for the toaster. I reckon you've got at least two of those things preserved. I reckon you do. Prize goes out to the one with the most. Although I will say, if you have all of these things preserved, you're weird. You're weird, I'm going to tell you. In love, you are strange, okay? Your small group leader is already convening an emergency Zoom prayer meeting in your honour, just so you know. But look, I'm the same. Right? We're all the same. We're all in the same boat. I, myself, I am a preserver as well. 
I'm in a desperate battle to try and preserve my hairline. It's a battle I'm losing. My hair started falling out many years ago. Each year, I find it's taken me longer and longer to wash my face. My hairline goes so far back, it's friends with Moses. But even with that instinct to preserve, even with that instinct to, to, to keep, that instinct to steward that has been given to us humans by God from the very beginning, we, all of us, have a desire to, to be preserved. And this is really what David's getting at here. Preserve me, O oh God. He, he understands that it's not himself that's in control. David is a king, right? He, he would be a king. And even he, in verse 5, says, you hold my lot. And in our most lucid moments, we, we know, <laughs> you know, don't you? You don't preserve yourself. We're not in control of our lives, not really. Perhaps massive world events, national crises even, as the one that we are all living through, serve to highlight the fact that we're not in control. We're not in charge here. In less than a month, less than a month, less than a month, our whole way of life has changed. Less than a month, the whole nation, the whole world been brought to its knees as notification after notification after notification comes through on our phones ping your health is in danger ping your wealth is in danger ping supermarket shelves are in danger but maybe for you you don't need a notification maybe for you it's much closer to the bone than that Maybe you're one of the many, many, many that have been furloughed. Or worse, maybe you've been laid off. Maybe you've not been laid off. Maybe you've been laid out by the virus or another condition. Or maybe you're one of the many in a higher risk category. Self-isolating. Frightened. Growing anxiety. What happens if? What happens if? What happens if? Or maybe for you, you've not been much affected by the virus. Maybe in your life, you've, you've not even really encountered much death in, in your family or amongst your friends. Well, if that's you, let me say this. Praise God. Praise God. But I will say, there will come a moment where you will have to consider your mortality. And you will have to consider it head on. And it's those moments that when we ask ourselves the big question or, or when the big questions are put to us, that they can make us feel uncomfortable. They can make us feel kind of exposed even and rather than run to a, a good father who wants to clothe us in royal robes 
so often we run to clothe ourselves with fig leaves. We do what it says in, in verse 4. We, we run after other gods. In our case, short-term comforts, pleasures, if you like. What do you run to? What is it for you? What do you run to when the pressure builds? What do you run to when the loneliness sets in? What do you run to when anxiety abounds? For some, it's, it's food. For others, it's drink, alcohol. Others, it's gaming, gambling, smoking. Others still, it's porn. The reality is not all of those things are bad. Some of them are bad. But they're all bad if we use them to kind of put our fingers in our ears, la, 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 and avoid the big questions. They're all bad if we use them as, as permanent distractions away from what really matters. They're all bad if we use them as kind of a handkerchief to cover the, the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room being death, dying, eternity. Which is why national crises like the one we face serve to, to put those big questions in our faces, don't they? Put the, the important questions to us. Matters of life and death. Questions that perhaps we should have been asking all along. But with that said, David, he's in that place. He's in the place whereby he, he's asking the big questions. David is likely by himself as he writes this psalm, self-isolating, if you will. And he's, he's frightened. And maybe you can relate to David. Maybe you're in a situation whereby you're largely, certainly feeling by yourself and, and you're afraid. Well, you have a friend in David here. You have a friend in the Psalms in general. But David, David isn't just afraid of the matters of this life, although those things are clearly important. David is, well, put simply, David's afraid of death. David's afraid of death. That is the eternal death. Afraid of being abandoned by God. So what does he do? David does the only thing, the only reasonable thing you can do when you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're burdened. He prays. He prays, saying, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. David prays, but David prays and quickly his mood changes. It's almost like David foresees something. It's almost like something switches in David. It's strange. As we progress through the psalm, we see he starts off by saying, preserve me. Then he declares, 
Therefore, my heart is glad. And my whole being rejoices. And my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the place of the dead. Nor will you let your holy one see corruption, rot in a grave. David considers death and all of a sudden moves from fear to faith, from anxiety to assuredness, from worrisome to worrior. How can anyone, when they consider death, <laughs> use words like gladness, rejoicing, secure? How can a believer possibly know for certain what they will face at death. How can a believer know for certain that they will be preserved by God forever? Because if you're a believer, you can know for certain that God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ over death, dying, and the place of the dead. Why? Because Jesus is no longer dead but he has been risen from the dead. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to pick it up again. John chapter 10, verse 18. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Jesus was a real man that lived a real life, that died a real death, that really resurrected. A fact in history that has never been disproved, but in fact has been proved through his appearances. Jesus appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at once. And then he appeared to James. And then he appeared to all the apostles. And then he appeared to Paul. Most of these men and women would be executed for their testimony about Jesus having risen from death. Why would they go to their deaths had they not have seen Jesus resurrected bodily? Why would they? Why would they continue preaching? They couldn't, they couldn't stop preaching. They couldn't stop. They said, no, I can't. Jesus is alive. He is alive. And they didn't just go to their deaths. They died in often gruesome ways. Some of them were sawn in two. Some of them had their heads removed from their bodies. Some of them were boiled alive. Some of them were crucified upside down, history records. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, these people were fools. Their faith futile. And they should be pitied. And the reality is, if the resurrection did not happen, you, you should feel sorry for Christians. I mean it. You should. 
But the resurrection did happen. And though many have tried to disprove the resurrection throughout history, from British lawyers to Harvard University professors to Oxford professors to investigative journalists, all have sought to disprove the resurrection as non-Christians. They've ended up converting to Christ and written books about the resurrection as Christians. Names like Dr. Gilbert West, names like Professor, Dr. Professor Simon Greenleaf, names like, more recently, Lee Strobel, legal editor of the Chicago Tribune at one time, forensically, in his book, The Case for Christ, forensically examines the evidence of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, only to conclude that it takes more faith to not believe the resurrection than it does to believe the resurrection. I tell you, the elephant in the room, it's not death. The elephant in the room is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this stuff, this stuff isn't legend. This stuff isn't something that started as a, a nice little story and then got exaggerated and exaggerated over time until Jesus was resurrected at the end of the, at the, end of the Chinese whispers. No, 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 no. I tell you, what, what is being preached today is the exact same thing that was preached a few days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the first ever Easter service. That day, one of Jesus' best friends and disciples, Peter, stood up a few days after the resurrection and preached. And do you know what he preached? Psalm 16. And he explains what David foresaw. He explains what, what cheered David up. Those, those resurrection ripples that were, were, were reaching David in those moments when he was in despair, worried about death and dying and rotting in the grave, even worse, being abandoned by God. Peter explains, this is, this is, what, this is what David experienced. This is what he saw. This is what cheered him up. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 31. He, that is David, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. What does this mean? Well, this means that though David wrote the psalm, it wasn't really about David. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. Which one of us can say that we've put God first in all circumstances? It says, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Which of us can dare to call ourselves the holy one? It says, their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out. Well, Jesus' blood was the offering that was poured out. It says, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. <laughs> who knows more about sorrow than Jesus? The one who had the title, 
man of sorrows. Jesus had sorrows multiplied on the cross. Not his own sorrows. He had my sorrows and your sorrows. As they were put on him. Along with all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our mess. Jesus was pronounced and declared guilty on that cross on Good Friday. Guilty for the times that we have run after other gods, after other comforts, after other pleasures, rather than the true God. Jesus took the punishment for those times. No. Psalm 16, just like all of the other Psalms, not about David. They're about the son of David. Who, 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 who would sink down into death. On Good Friday, Jesus, he was not preserved, but he was pierced. Jesus would, would sink down into death and, and go, go to Sheol. God himself in Sheol. God himself in Hades. God himself in the place of the dead. God was there. God was there. And from that place, he preached he preached victory, victory over Satan, victory over sin, victory over death. No doubt saying, as he does in Revelation chapter one, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Who better to have those keys? Jesus was raised from the dead from inside of death, making peace by the blood of his cross. Making provision for all of those who believe in him to have their sins forgiven. Making preservation for all of those that put their faith in him to one day in the twinkling of, twinkling of an eye have their bodies raised from the dead just as his body was and making pleasure for us to enjoy in him forevermore. And in a time when our pleasures have been snatched away from us, we can't go to the cinema we can't go to the bars. We can't go to the restaurants. We can't go to the coffee shops. We can't watch the sport on TV. We can't see friends or family in the way that perhaps we would want to see friends or family. Surely this time serves only to show us that at any moment, at any moment, our pleasures can be pilfered. At any moment, these good things can be snatched away from us. <laughs> That's why David... That's why David talks about a pleasure that can never be snatched away from you. That's why David ends the psalm. He ends the whole psalm this way. It's important to him. Pleasure is important to him. Do you know what? Christianity is not about limiting your pleasure. It's not about squashing it, minimizing it. <laughs> I tell you, it's just not true. Christianity is about pleasure. <laughs> Believe you me, it is about pleasures. Pleasure that will knock your socks off. Stunning pleasures that last forevermore. This is what David is talking about. 
It's important. It's a big theme of the Bible, pleasure. David puts it like this. He says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You can know a pleasure that is pure. You can know a pleasure that doesn't make you feel remorseful 10 minutes later. You can know a pleasure that preserves. You can know a pleasure that not even death itself can snatch away from you. Okay, okay. Where can I find this pleasure then? Well, David's very specific. David says this, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Okay, okay, at your right hand. We're being a bit cryptic now. What, what is the pleasure at God's right hand? Well, that's a good question. Let me just tweak it ever so slightly for you, though. I think a better question to ask is, who is the pleasure at God's right hand? Because there has only ever been one person authorized to sit at the right hand of God Almighty. Jesus. Jesus. Don't you see? Jesus is the one in whom there is forever pleasure. And when you know Jesus... When you've given your life to the resurrected King, Jesus, you start to understand what some of the phrases in this psalm are referring to. Like in verse 6, when you, when you are friends with Jesus, you can say along with David, truly the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You can say, when you know Jesus, truly, I have a beautiful inheritance. Even in times of trouble, you can say along with verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You can know the fullness of joy in his presence. A joy that can start today in your living room or your bedroom and continue on for eternity. And if you give your life to him, one day, one day you will, <laughs> you will meet him face to face. And you will not have experienced pleasure like it. So, do you know this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? He loves you. He's real. He's reliable. He's radiant. He's resurrected. 
and he invites you today to enjoy perfect preservation and perpetual pleasure. If you just bow your heads with me, we'll just pray. Some of you, you know that you need this Jesus. Some of you, you know, actually, I've, I've kind of been avoiding the elephant in the room. Some of you know, I, I want to deal with it today. I want to get this, I want to get this sorted. I want to put my faith in Jesus. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And this is a prayer to become a Christian. I'm going to say a line, then you say a line out loud or say in your head, he's listening. So repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry that I have chased after other gods. I'm so sorry I've avoided the elephant in the room. I'm so sorry I've ignored you. But Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe that you rose again bodily. Come into my life now. I want you. I choose to follow you forever. Jesus, would you reveal yourself to me increasingly? Jesus, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would I even now encounter your power? Would I know this pleasure that I've heard about right now? And would you lead me for the rest of my life? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you wouldn't mind just commenting commenting in the uh, video link, just, just write, I prayed, I prayed that prayer. Just something, just very simply like that. I prayed that prayer and someone will be in touch with you, just help you along.